Welcome to the March 2016 podcast for the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition. My name is Dr. Kelly Tappenden, Editor-in-Chief of JPEN and the Kraft Foods Human Nutrition Endowed Professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana. I'm pleased to be joined today by Dr. Ryan Hurst, who is Associate Professor of Medicine and Director of the Home Enteral and Parenteral Nutrition Program at Mayo Clinic. Welcome, Dr. Hurst. Thanks for having me. I asked you to join us today to discuss your paper entitled The Prevalence and Contents of Advanced Directives in Patients Receiving Home Parenteral Nutrition. This paper really struck my attention because we focus so much on the physiology and metabolic science of patients receiving nutrition support, but you've addressed a very important personal and legal issue in this paper, and you do so using the scientific method. What was your interest in conducting this work? I took over this role a few years ago, and coming from an internal medicine background, we often with patients near the end of life, you know, have discussions about, you know, what sort of goals they have for their end of life and what sort of planning they've had for end of life decision making. And it really struck me that, you know, when we would train people to do total parental nutrition at home, we often did not have those sort of discussions with our patients that we were training to do, you know, life-sustaining therapy in many cases. And a lot of our patients are long-term TPN patients who require this just to basically stay alive. And so it really struck me that we weren't having these sort of discussions with patients about what their goals, what were their expectations as far as what the nutrition was going to do or was not going to be able to do. We have those sort of brief discussions with all of our patients. I think we do a pretty good job, but really getting into more details is something that we don't do in general, I think, a good job of. And so we wanted to investigate and see how often our patients in the past were actually having formal advanced directives on file. So when they would come back into the emergency room or come back to the hospital, these sort of things were at least put down on paper because a lot of times they may be lacking the ability to talk for themselves when they're critically ill or family members aren't immediately available. So we did a retrospective review of advanced directives and how often patients had these when they were being sent home on home parental nutrition. From what I can see, there were various elements within the advanced directives that were put in place. What did you feel were some of the important elements that should be covered in an advanced directive for a home ENPN patient? A lot of your standard sort of discussions, and we always encourage people to have advanced directives when they're not ill and have these discussions with their physicians and family members, you know, obviously when they're not in a critical sort of situation. And it's really best done with their primary care physician. And we have a really nice medical record system here where we're able to mine some of these things. And so what I encourage people to have is talking about the specific life-prolonging treatment. So for instance, mechanical ventilation, hemodialysis, and have you know an open and honest discussion about what these sort of things mean. Because when you talk to patients about mechanical ventilation, or you talk to them about when you know, when your heart stops, what do you want us to do? You have to have a communication where both parties are understanding what you're talking about. And so sometimes a layperson is not going to understand what mechanical ventilation or even what artificial nutrition truly means. And so th- those important elements that are in most standard advanced directives should be there. But when you're talking about nutrition, 
it's obviously a little bit more, sometimes even more emotional, you know, nutrition. This has been documented in many legal cases, such as the Shivo case, that feeding people is sometimes is viewed differently than even things like hemodialysis, just because it's it's a natural, almost right to feed, you know, to, to have nutrition. And so it can be even more of a difficult discussion. Well, of course I want nutrition is, is a typical response we we have. And so we have to tell them what artificial nutrition means and what the implications of it are, what sort of quality life sort of implications it has. So I encourage our listeners to go and read the paper, but what you found was that when it came to advanced directives, about half of the patients had one in place. And about half of those included information about their wishes regarding parenteral nutrition. But on this list, I don't see anything regarding enteral nutrition. Was that specifically mentioned on these? Because, you know, you mentioned the Cherry Shibo case. That would be something that would have been very relevant in that instance, right? In our paper, you're correct. We found about half of our patients had advanced directives and about half, I think it was like 48%, actually mentioned home parental nutrition. And that actually was a little bit surprising to me. And that may be an artifact of where we are, Mayo Clinic. I don't know if I would have found that in previous places I trained, like in Louisville. But you're correct. I often recommend and we encourage our patients now, based on this study, to talk about both forms of artificial nutrition, both tube feeds and PPN in their advanced directives, and especially when they're doing advanced directives and they're not at that stage where they need artificial nutrition. Most of these patients actually put their advanced directives in about the time where they were about to be placed with artificial nutrition. So it was really specific to TPN because that was our patient population. But I agree, patients and healthcare providers should talk about nutrition aspects, both enteral and parenteral. Very good. And I think that you have done an excellent job, and the readers will find it very useful looking at Table 4 where there's examples of general statements that can be used for patients regarding home parenteral nutrition and adjust them for enteral nutrition, certainly, too. Any final recommendations for clinicians based on this work that you've done? We're trying to do research here that can address some day-to-day issues clinicians have, and And so we thought this was a very relevant one, especially when we were going through training patients and finding, you know, they didn't really have advanced directives in place and then half our patients don't. So so my big take home is have these discussions with your patients, especially ones that the decision to make for artificial nutrition is upcoming, but also encourage nutrition professionals to have these discussions with patients they may be doing just lifestyle counseling with and have these end-of-life discussions because When you're sick and you're in the hospital, um, that to me is a time that's not ideal to have these discussions because people get scared, they're fearful, they have a lot of things that may have come up suddenly, that may sway their decision-making. You can always change your advanced directive, that's another message, it's not like it's set in stone and and so these sort of discussions can be ongoing with patients and healthcare providers and and also to update your advanced directives if there's any changes in in your thought process as far as patients go to have healthcare providers talk to them on a regular basis about, is there any update to your advanced directives or any changes? And so these are just things that we do on a daily basis with our patients now as a result of this study. Very good. Well, congratulations to you and your colleagues, Dr. Hurt. This is an important and necessary contribution to the clinical nutrition literature. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you.